0: And I am now joined by a very special guest, Bruce Mahalski. Welcome onto the show, Bruce. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you for coming in and joining me today. It's a bit of a different subject topic that we're going to be talking about. You are an artist, but what is the main material that you use in your art?
1: Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I always get very difficult when people try and put categories on anything. No, fair enough. And yeah, I, I have to call myself an artist because I'm sort of yeah, I'm forced to, but I... I uh, I guess what I'm known for is making art with, with bones. Uh, I, I use them to make what I call textural bone sculpture. But uh, uh, that, that's really sort of part of a sort of larger sort of, uh, a sort of I would think, a, a conceptual conversation I want to have with people mm-hmm. that sort of hopefully transcends the medium and perhaps becomes art.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. And you've recently, we'll get into that in a second, but you've recently opened the Dunedin Museum mm-hmm. of Natural Mystery. Could you tell us a wee bit more about that museum and why you've opened your collection up to the public?
1: Um, well, I've always just had you know, a love of museums. When I was a kid, I used to go to Explorers Week at Otago Museum, uh, which was like a thing they had in the school holidays. Did
0: you grow up here, in Dunedin?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And, um, and then my parents were friends with the um, assistant director, John Darby, and I sort of became like an unpaid intern for him whenever I could persuade him that he needed my help. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had five projects to do, and I'd go in there after school and, and stuff. And uh, and then I used to help out with it for his weeks. Mm. And I guess I always sort of th- and I used to watch Noel Hyde uh, painting the uh, the 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 walls behind the exhibits. So yeah. some of the exhibits have got paintings behind them, and a guy called Noel Hyde did them. And I used to watch him doing. Think, oh yeah, maybe I could do that when I grow up. Um, and then I moved up to Wellington, and I've sort of you know, almost worked at Te at one point and I've I've sort of done some projects with the Museum of City and Sea up there. I've just always just liked museums and, and you know, and, and the idea of collecting and I've always collected myself. Mm. Uh, my parents were collectors and it just seemed that that was what you did, you know, as a human being you collected things. Um, and then, I don't know when it was, uh, I had sort of critical mass built up of people coming around to my house and saying, it's like a you museum your house. <laughs> And at the time i was sort of, i 'd been teaching art for a long time, and I was really wanting to not do that um, anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, no offense to art teachers out there because it's it 's hard work being a teacher yeah um, and I thought well how can I how can I you know what 's a new way what 's a new lifestyle I could try and aspire to So I thought, well maybe I will set up my my house like a museum and uh Actually, charge people to come, um, unfortunately, because I've got to to pay the rent. Of course. Um, And I couldn't do that in Wellington. I couldn't buy the house that I I needed to do it. So I just thought I'd move back to my hometown of Dunedin and and set up this this little museum uh, based around my collection of um, bones, um, obviously, um, but skulls, particularly. Yeah. And what I call uh, ethnological art. Okay. Uh, Some people call it primitive art, but basically, sort of art from outside pre European influence. Mm -hmm. Um, So like spiritual art, you know, relating to sort of animist traditions. Yeah. uh, When humans were like part of nature and not not separate from it. Uh, But also other sort of just weird eclectic stuff that I've accumulated. um, A bit of paranormal stuff um, to do with uh, paranormal research, uh, which I'm interested in. Yeah. And also as a sort of gallery of my own own art, um, which is made out of uh, bones.
0: What's one of the more prized pieces of ethnological art that you have within your museum?
1: Um, hmm, I, I guess it's probably these two figures I got from uh, a, a friend of mine, Desmond Bovey, who's a very interesting guy, who's a, a Whanganui um, resident at the moment, but he spent most of his life in France, and through a series of strange circumstances he ended up inheriting a, a, an amazing collection of art from uh, from the Congo, mm-hmm. uh, some from other parts of Africa as well, and uh, and he has since he's been back in New Zealand he's been actually organising um, a sort of touring show of some of this work uh, called Minkisi, which is a, sort of the name that is used in that part of the world to describe these sort of ritual artefacts. So I've got a couple of pieces off, <coughs> excuse me, Desmond, uh, which incorporate animal bones into the the wooden sculptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also incorporate mirrors. They're, f- they're full of like magical objects. So essentially they're like sort of paranormal protection devices, like an alarm system. Yeah. And so if, 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 a, if a witch or something or a warlock or whatever comes into the house, these sculptures will act as a deterrent. Wow. They're, they're also full of nails. Uh, so each nail that was hammered in uh, is also like a... Um, it's um, indicative of the fact that there's been some sort of ceremony where the local... Um, yeah, you know, holy man has actually hammered in a nail as he's read a prayer or mm-hmm. some rituals taken place. And so they're like a sort of batteries of sort of spiritual power.
0: And yeah, is all of this collecting there as some sort of spiritual or religious aspect to it?
1: Um, I see my work, yeah, as extremely spiritual. Although the last time I was in here I was actually being interviewed about the atheist pride march <laughs> in Dunedin. So I'm a very <laughs> spiritual atheist.
0: Okay, cool. That's awesome. And so, your first bone sculpture to get into the art a wee bit more um, in 2005 was a protest against the Iraqi war. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that piece, and if it created a strand of inherent activism in your future works? Uh,
1: no, it was actually the exact opposite, actually, of what happened there. Okay. Because um, I had been, you know, always been involved in in, um, in pacifism, a pacifist movement, and conservation movements, various strands of that. And when America invaded Iraq um, after 9/11, as response to that, mm-hmm. it, it was just it was just so utterly ridiculous. You know, just like the situation we have now, you know, with the US bombing Syria a while back. Yeah, just so preposterous uh, that I I actually organised a whole lot of um, of art around that. Not just myself, but other people as well. Um, both in Wellington and Auckland, we did a number of shows. Um, Magic and Desire. No, no, not Magic and Desire. What was it? Um, Full spectrum dominance was one of them. Mm-hmm. Kill war was another one. Where we all made stuff that was a reaction to against war. And for one of these pieces that I made, and, and we were turning out lots of work, yeah. I, co- I covered a M16 in animal bones. And people have covered things in bones before. Yeah. But I I did something which was a bit different, and I I layered I layered the bones up, and so they sort of took on a to look like coral. You couldn't see the actual gun underneath anymore. Mm-hmm and And then I sort of realized oh that's that 's an interesting technique and people people were saying oh that's that 's really good and people liked it and so it took me quite a while before I sort of kept on with that. I made another made another gun about i't do know three or four years later um, and then I sort of by that point, I was realizing, hey, this is a good technique <clears throat> and at that point, I actually s- decided to separate my politics from my art okay and i assumed uh, an alter ego, which we won't go into now, where I put all my politics into that other artistic identity, yeah. and I strip the politics out of out of out of Maholsky, as it will, as it were. And um, and now I see my art is is not about you know politics anymore. It's much more about wider concerns.
0: But do you collect both animal and human bones?
1: I wouldn't say I collect human bones, okay. but if people offer me human bones, I I will take them. Yeah. You know, you can't buy or sell a human bone uh, in this country because it's, uh, it's against the Human Tissue Act. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: that's actually quite interesting. You've covered it in your book that's just recently been released, Seeds of Life. Could you just go into that a little bit more, what happened with the Indian body trade?
1: Yeah, okay. So uh, the book Seeds of Life um, is actually by Craig Hilton, um, who's a very good friend of mine, who's an Auckland um, academic-cum-artist who, in fact, used to work at Harvard, as a cancer researcher. Um, now he works at Unitech uh, and he's, um, he's the head of the mind lab there. And they do a lot of very sexy, sort of, science art crossover projects. Yeah. Uh, so he's written this book and I've, I've contributed a bit. And then Billy Lithberg, who's another friend who's a historian, she's written a, written part of it as well. Um, so yeah, it's available at UBS if you want to copy. Yeah. Uh, it's lavishly illustrated with, with photos of, of the sort of stuff that I do, which is sculptures made out of bones, uh, as well as a whole sort of philosophy. You know, behind it, um, and and a lot of my own philosophy is you know Craig is a very good friend of mine, and, and the atheist pride much as I was I a minute ago. Just mm. to you, uh, we 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 do these sort of projects together often, and, and we have these conversations, and and so I'm always thinking what would Craig think, you know? And, yeah. And hopefully, you know, maybe sometimes he thinks what I think. I don't know, but anyway, he's he's an influence. So so Craig's written the book, um, and published by RIM Books. Um, In Auckland, which is like a sort of art publishing place, and uh, yeah, it's available at the UBS, and also you can buy it at the museum. Um, Yep.
0: Uh, So the the Indian body thing, yeah. Indian body thing, yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Coming back to Indian bodies, yes. I stop providing. We
0: will buy your book,
1: but also. (laughs) Yeah, please buy the book. (laughs) Um, Indian bodies. So yeah, so I've got some human human skulls and and bits and pieces, and the the original one I, I I got was of my father, who was a doctor. And in the old days, every doctor had to have a a full human skeleton as part of their kit. Like, you had to go out and buy your medical textbooks. Next order, you know, buy a human skeleton. Um, Nowadays, most people uh, still have to, I think, get a a replica of some kind. Mm. I'm not sure about that. I'm not a med student. But I think there's still a need to get a replica. But you you don't need to get the real thing. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, India used to be the main place where these these skulls and skeletons came out of. And uh, it was a big trade. And in 1996 they made it illegal um, to export human remains. Uh, but it was so entrenched at that point that uh, it went underground. And uh, now there's still a very big export market uh, coming out of India, mm. also Afghanistan, another area, uh, where poor people can't afford to be buried properly. Yeah. And there are gangs out there, groups of people, you know, not gangs, just groups of people who need to make money who will go out and grab these bodies and turn them into skeletons and sell them as uh, a big big market in the US. Mm. Uh, medical schools still need human remains uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um there's never, you know, never going to go away, there's always going to be a demand for human bone material.
0: Yeah, yeah. and do you know if there's any sort of black market in New Zealand for the human bone trade?
1: I wouldn't say there's a black market. What I, what I would say, as everyone knows, is that there are people in New Zealand that that have human bones, that have human skulls mm-hmm. in their possession. Um, and these are often associated with, with science or medicine, um, and um, they they have these objects. And I think the only problem arises when someone tries to sell one of these objects, and, uh, and then obviously at that point you're breaking the law. Yeah. Um, so as an artist who occasionally uses human bones in my work, um, I need to be very careful about um, how I try and... Um, and uh, you know, react to this. Yeah. and one way I react to it is by not putting prices <clears throat> on things that have got human bones and
0: okay and so they're not, Do you act- sell them they're still not though?
1: actually for sale. Well they're not actually for sale. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um and have there been some issues surrounding the cultural sensitivity of displaying these human remains for you personally?
1: Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. And I have got quite a few friends um on all sides of the tracks. Um and uh so far, yeah, no one I know who I respect mm-hmm. has come up with an argument to say that what I'm doing is, you know, is is out of bounds. Um, I think the book, cov- you know, the book covers this a lot. As to it does explains yeah. the rationale for why I'm doing this. So it's not shock tactics. It's 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 a serious point to it, mm-hmm. and I could say the serious point is um, that I think um, that we are on the verge of extinction as a species. Uh, and we're going to take many, many other species down with us. Uh, many of us know this, uh, but um, to, to to change things would be to dismantle the whole system that we have now and start from scratch almost, you know, capitalism would have to go for a start. Yeah. So really, what, what you know, what are we going to do? And I think one thing we need to do is is accept this fact that we are on the tipping point of extinction. We need to actually grasp this fact. Yeah. And start addressing life going forwards with that as as a premise. Uh, and so a lot of the, the the stigma about about human bone material is is in my opinion, I mean there's obviously there's medical grounds behind some of it, but a lot of it comes down to uh, religious beliefs. Um, and so the the modern religions, you know, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, um, they regard the you know the human bones as still having some connection. <clears throat> I don't know how they quite rationalise it because apparently we go to heaven, but apparently still you may be reincarnated in your body at some point. So it's not a good thing to have human bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should be put somewhere respectfully and left alone, out of sight. Whereas all the animist religions, the ones that you know that, that I, whose whose work I collect, uh, people you know living in places like New Guinea and Africa, they would keep the, the bones of their loved relatives around mm. the house and these bones would become an integral part of of their lives, and you would know how that's grandfather's skull over there. And if you wanted to talk to him, you might hold the skull while you talk to him. Um, So I think I can justify my work on the grounds that it's trying to start conversations um, about humans' place uh, in the environment. Uh, and we need to perhaps uh, to step backwards, and to think about becoming animals again, uh, rather than putting ourselves on a sort of exalted sort of plateau as a sort of the, the high point of evolution and, and sort of mini gods.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in your work as well, you use both human bones and animal bones together. Do you only see in, only th- a few of them? Only in a few of them. Okay. Yep. Um, do you see humans and animals as being on a level playing field?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so the book is, you know, covers this at length. A lot of it is Craig's arguments as to why we're, why we're animals. And we've got no, no, yeah. I don't know what's going on inside your brain, you know, let alone a dog's brain or, mm-hmm. you know, or a, a caterpillar's brain. You know, we don't know what's going on there. And, and every year that we study animals, you know, we learn they're way more complex than we thought they were. Mm-hmm. So who knows? They may have their own religions, you know, uh, they may have their own sort of metaphysics.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and where do you source your animal bones
1: from? For the works, most of it. So this is sort of a, sort of a side sort of a strand of the work is I get them from pest control. Oh wow! Um, so there's a lot of pest control in central um and Otago is good because it's so dry there that uh, the, you can see the bones from when an animal dies, whereas normally it's covered in vegetation. Yeah. So there's lots of rabbit control. Um, so like rabbits are my sort of stock and trade. Uh, but I also walk beaches a lot and pick up pick up stuff in the beaches and oh, yeah. a bit of roadkill. Um, you name it, you know. I go out walking a lot in places where I know I'm going to find stuff and I just pick it up and clean it. Um, so, finding the bone and cleaning it is actually a big a big part of what I do. Okay. Because some of the works have got literally thousands of bones in. Um, part of the reason I moved to Eden as well as being able to buy a house was being closer to Central Otago because I, so I, I was actually driving down to Central Otago from Wellington about four or five times a year to get material mm-hmm. and it was slightly ridiculous. Um, so, I thought I'd get closer to the source of supply.
0: Yeah, have you gotten into any hot water with Doc about using native animal bones?
1: Um, so that once again the book sort of addresses this and um, technically if you find a, a, a native human animal and all native native animals are protected except for black backed gulls and echoes, Um so if you find a native animal like a seal or a penguin, um, really what you should do is, is rig Doc uh, that is if you find a complete animal. Mm. Uh, Doc is not so much interested in isolated bones or bits, bits of animals. Okay. So if I find a complete animal in good condition that belongs to a native species, I will pass it on to the right people. But normally, what I find is, is isolated bones or or bits of animals, or as I said, rabbits, you know, ferrets, yeah. wild cats, you know, the wallabies. These are my stock and trade. So I don't often deal with 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 native animals, but at the same time. I, I don't think they should be off limits, so I think artists should there should be a way that you can get a legal permit um, to, to use um, native animal remains uh, if you meet certain criteria and if you're prepared to pay for the permit. So as a collector of antiquities, which I also am, I pay mm-hmm. for a permit. In fact, I don't even pay for it, you get it for free, we're used to from Internal Affairs. Yeah. And that licences me as a collector. Um, and then everything I have as is a, is a registered artefact is on a record. So so anyone who wants to look up that artifact knows why yeah. oh, Bruce has got it. And so I think the same thing c- should be done perhaps for animal remains. Uh, you can get a permit to possess, say you find a you know, a, a, um, a little blue penguin on the beach and you want to f- have it skeleton, you can apply to DOC for a permit. Uh, but by the terms of that permit, uh, the ownership of the remains is still vested in the crown. Hmm. And uh, the crown can still come and take those bones away at any point. Okay. Uh, also, if I sell a work of art that's got a native animal bone, in it, the new owner has then has to get a permit themselves. Okay. But at the same time, Doc, the Crown, could come along and take, take that bone away any time <laughs> they felt. So there really isn't much point at the moment mm. uh, from my point of view. I, I, I have had permits in the past. So part of the book uh, is also trying to start a conversation with Doc. And I really talk with, with, with people there saying, hey, this is what I'm doing. I, I'm operating in plain sight. Uh, Any time you want to come and visit me, come and visit me uh, and look yep. at what I've got, and that's sort of the, my my approach at okay. the moment.
0: Fantastic. All right. And how do you decide which bones to use? What's the process behind creating one of these pieces for you?
1: Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's several different sort of strands uh, that I'm going down, and a lot of it is about trying to sort of way to to put um, put humanity back into nature by trying to to subtly link humans and nature, not necessarily with human bones, but um, other sort of like things like making masks. So I've always made masks. So I make masks out of bones, and a uh, mask, you know, such a sort of a, a metaphor for you know for all sorts of ways of looking at the world. You know, I could write mm. a book about what masks symbolise. Um, and so usually I start with a number of sort of like uh, sort of key bones that that I have that that I think would be good to build a work around. And so I sort of build the work around these key these key bones. Um, And then a lot of the rest of it is just sort of filling in all the gaps. So usually I've got a very clear idea of of what I want to make. Um, Sometimes things get away from me um, because it's about layering, and I create these multiple layers, and sometimes I go too far. uh, And then it's horrible because I've just wasted all this material, and I I can't get it back again. Mm. I've spent hours out foraging for it. But then that's that's just part of it. Um, so there's lots of different ways I make, make the art, and the book goes into it a bit. But at the same time, I don't get, want to give away too many secrets, because there are other people starting to become interested in, in, in what I'm doing, and saying, well, how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to tell you everything.
0: Is there anyone else practising in, in bone art in New Zealand? Do you know? A- aside from bone, art, uh, bone yeah. carving, yeah. which so, is slightly different.
1: Uh, not that I know of. Not that I know of. I know there's some people overseas that I, I follow on Instagram uh, but nobody's doing anything quite what I'm doing that okay. I've ever seen where they're, they're layering it uh, to, for, to make sort of text, textures with it. Yeah. Most people are doing things where they're using wires to make assemblages.
0: Right, right, yeah. Um, and is preserving the dignity of those bones really important to you when you're creating these pieces as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, obviously yeah? That's, that's super important because I, I like to think that we should respect all animals, well, particularly mammals because we like mammals don't we they've got fur and they're warm and we like them because we're mammals but we should treat animals with a lot more dignity and the, part of the reason that I use pest bones is not only because they're available but also because I hate the waste of all these animals just yeah. being slaughtered and just left to, to rot there and so I'm trying to sort of honour their lives in a way by putting them back into you know into, into something you know to where people can appreciate oh hey you know rabbits they're not all bad sort of mm-hmm. thing you know because most people just see the possums, you know, there's nasty pest. Yeah. Whereas actually, you know, um, I think they're beautiful. And, um, yeah.
0: What are, what are the limits of bone as a material? What would you not be willing to do to that as a material?
1: Uh, well, in my, in my head, I've got all these, these rules that I've made up. Okay. Um, and one of the main ones is to try and leave the bone uh, alone. Um By which I mean to try and present it in a a, 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 a hands-off way. Um, So uh, some of my pieces hopefully look like they've actually made themselves. They've grown organically Mm. or a part of the bones has fallen on the floor. What I don't like people doing is putting paint on on bones and covering bones in layers because then you take away uh, the surface of the bone and you can't tell it's a bone anymore. It could be made of plaster or plastic or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, staining bone, however, <coughs> excuse me, I think I think is all right. Staining bone within its limits, I do a little bit of staining um, because I'm not I'm not covering the bone. Okay. Uh, but also people people that create these sort of cryptozoological concoctions, you know, like sort of mermaids and what have you. Uh, You're they, not a fan of that? They annoy me, okay. no. And when they, people <laughs> put hats on, like taxidermy, yeah. uh, it's anthropomorphising animal. It's turning into, it's like, a proxy human. Yeah. And that's, that's degrading to the animal.
0: Yeah, you don't think that's respectful? No. 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 Do you collect ca- taxidermy as well?
1: No, I used to. But then I decided, for the reasons we're talking about now, yeah. that I decided it, it wasn't uh, honouring the animal uh, in the way that I wanted, wanted to, And also, it takes a lot of space, um... And yeah, I just I didn't feel good about it anymore, so I, I basically I sold it all what I had. Oh
0: yeah, apart oh, from a couple of pieces. Do you have um, different types of work in your museum as well, aside from bone work?
1: Well, if you have not really come up and have a look at it, but what, what it's sort of based around is my collection of skulls. Uh, I just love skulls. Um, you know, they are. You know, if, if, yeah, if why if, is
0: that? Why do you love skulls? Well, so one much? is
1: they're so beautiful. I mean, they, they just can't be improved upon. So when people like paint or carve a skull. You know, carve into it. You know, so like, why would you do that? Yeah. It's like throwing paint at a Ferrari or something. But also, I think that we all instinctively feel that if if we died, and our and our soul was outside our body, that the one place we still might have a connection to on this planet would be the place where our hard drive was you mm. know, inside our head, inside our skull. Uh, and so I think you know that's why the skulls are you know they're they're so um, you know, they're so loaded with with symbolism and, and, you know, um, everything, you know.
0: Yeah, and you you surround yourself with all these artefacts of the dead. Do you fear death yourself?
1: No, no, but as I say in the book, I mean, you can't talk about life without talking about death. Um, We need death to appreciate life. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Part of my part of my art, you know, one of the, the, the most important things I'm trying to do is to get people to to flip their thinking on bones. Yeah. To like, oh, that's not a, an animal that's died, that's an animal that's lived.
0: Okay. Oh wow. That's so, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah.
1: That's, yeah. Enough said.
0: Yeah. And are you in the future going to be heading down any different symbolic paths? I mean, you've done the guns in the past. You've done these other kind of quite segmented. Um, you know one symbol per uh, exhibit if you've exhibited it or just you know it's got one theme to it are there any other themes that you're going to be delving into in the future
1: the main the main thing i'd like to do is is actually get away from the symbolic stuff um, and you know which is unfortunately i can't i can never get away from it because a lot of people engage with that you know it starts the conversations but uh, to do more large-scale textural pieces where, okay. like, a whole wall might be covered, or you might be able to walk into um, a, r- a room that is completely covered mm. um, because it's just a layering. I like it's like a new coral reef, you know. It uh, does
0: look a lot like coral, some yeah, of your work, yeah,
1: yeah. It's just, I just find it fantastically beautiful, and so I just like to overwhelm people uh, with it.
0: Yeah, do you think you'll start is that like, in mm-hmm. your own home?
1: Uh, I'd like to, uh, it's like probably to. a bit small. Uh, but uh, you know, I'll try and keep persevering and getting enough material, and try and realise it somewhere uh, before I die.
0: Oh, fantastic! And when is your museum open during the week for people to visit?
1: Um, it's open Friday to Sunday from ten to five. Um, so there's a website which is dot royal because it's in Royal Terrace. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't get couldn't get museum of natural Mystery. Somebody <laughs> else already got that. Great name, <laughs> by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it's sixty-one Royal Terrace. It's sort of a, Royal Terrace is the same street as Alverston. So if you're on George Street and you're sort of facing Knox Church, you so sort of wander up the hill, up Pitt Street, and it's just just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, three rooms of the house is, is my collection, and then one room is, is the gallery. Oh,
0: fantastic! <clears> and that's a it's five dollar entry fee. Five
1: dollar entry fee, yep. but free for anyone under ten. Cool. Uh, dogs are allowed um, if they're on a lead, and um, if, if you're really like wasted like really drunk I won't let you in but if you're a bit drunk I will <laughs> <laughs>
0: um and that's quite interesting because you say that under tens what have children's reactions been to your collection um because that's rather pure usually Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I've, I've really concentrated on, on making it child-friendly yeah um, I, you know there are some things I've, I've edited oh. Um, you know things that I perhaps like to put in, but um, I'm not going to because yeah. I, I want I want children to to feel good about it. Um, and so far, yeah, the reaction has been good. Um, I guess some of the cases are quite high, uh, so I do need to get a few things um, for things kids to stand on. I, yeah, I, but uh, by and large, good.
0: Do you think it starts a good discussion around the concept of death for young people?
1: Um, I don't know about that. Um, I, I I I hope that most people who who, who come and leave come away with a, a, a greater appreciation of of bones and skulls mm. a, and, and strip some of the negativity about oh that's ugly and scary and horrible and yeah and uh, maybe you know some of that is, uh, is diminished
0: to see the bones you know <clears throat> in a respectful and kind of formalized area might be quite good for for younger people if that's something that parents are willing to take their kids along to have a look at.
1: Well, what I, what I have found, too, is a lot of people give me stuff, which yeah. is, which is great. Yeah, thank you, everybody who's given me things, and please keep doing it. Um, but some of those people have actually started collecting the bones themselves now.
0: Oh, I see. So there's going to be a few more pockets of bone collectors around Dunedin. Uh,
1: yeah, I, th- I, think, so.
0: I yeah. think so. Yeah. And there's also a critic article coming out very shortly in the University Magazine that will delve into this as well. So if you want to have a more in-depth read apart from buying the actual book. Buy the book. Yeah, buy (laughs) buy the book Seeds of Life. But there will also be a wee um, bit of coverage in Critic Magazine when the semester starts uh, in July. Thank you for coming on the show today, Bruce. My It's been really interesting. (laughs) One of the more interesting, um, I don't want to say that because I've had a lot of great guests on this show, (laughs) but, I mean, totally different from what we'd usually talk about. And, I mean, keep doing it. Hopefully we'll have you on the show at some other point when you've developed something different. We'll see. We'll see. Awesome. Bruce Mahalski on the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. Late breakfast. The time is.